kind of start at the beginning. So I know we obviously talked um, for everybody listening. I met Kelsey at Exos the other day when I was uh, when I was doing a research study. Um, I think before we get into like the research based questions and things like that, I'd love to go back um, in your career and kind of go back to the corporate wellness side of things and maybe where you started in fitness too. Um, how did you get into the fitness industry? Like, what's your story? Um, so for me, actually, my journey, my whole life has never really revolved around fitness. Sure. You know, I was, I was a band nerd in high school. <laughs> like, I love it. I love it. Never, never was really part of sports. I did some sports growing up. Like I played soccer when I was really young for like a couple of years, sure. things like that. But, you know, when I got out of high school, my full career path originally was going to do interior design. I love it. <laughs> yeah. And as I was going through school, I changed majors like mm, three, three times, I want to say, sure. until I finally landed one day on like, I just need to get something done. It was just going for my associates when I just started taking a lot of like different classes. And a lot of those were ended up being exercise physiology classes. And, and this is when you're going to, to Flagstaff, right? To, to NAU? I was actually in Prescott at the time. I went okay. to Yavapai Community College up there. Sure, and, sure. Um, my my life kind of was a little weird in my 20s and I kind of took myself out of Phoenix for a lot of personal reasons and just needed to step away from my life and where sure. it was kind of going and was trying to be good trying to become a little bit more healthy and so I was taking more exercise like just cool. group exercise classes and then just fell in love and was trying to figure out like how do you make this into a career and mm -hmm. that's how I found um fitness wellness degree up at NAU sure um, after I graduated at Yavapai with my associates, I then moved up to Flagstaff and okay. completed it up there. Nice. So that's kind of my little story. <laughs> I love that. Yeah, I actually, I mean, I was, I was talking about, about that when I, when I saw you, but what are, you know, because I've been to Flagstaff a few times, what are your, some, some of your favorite spots in Flagstaff before we kind of get, like, kind of keep going with, uh, like, you know, more of the wellness-based questions that I have in yeah, no, one of my favorite little coffee shops is Macy's. It okay. is like, it's a little hole in the wall. And I want to say it's on Beaver Street. It's been like two or three years since I've been up. Actually, it's probably been like five years since I've been up there. Okay. Um, but it's on Beaver Street and it's really good. Um, Flagstaff Brewing Company. And everybody's like really big about Lumberyard. Sure. Go to Flagstaff. Like Flagstaff is so much better. It's a, it's like a quaint little bar, and I think their beer is a little bit better too. Sure. <laughs> yeah. I I love that, and like a lot of the people are gonna be listening to because I'm from Wisconsin, so a lot of people, uh, you know, obviously when they come to Arizona, they go anywhere. Uh, they're gonna go drink somewhere, so that's that's great. And, and Flagstaff really feels a lot. I feel like um, around the summertime or springtime, it feels a lot like Wisconsin. And a lot of like the trees and everything kind of feel the same too um, up there. But yeah, I'll have to check that out when I'm up there. Yeah, it is. It is a good, it's a good little spot, that whole little area. And there's a really good candy shop that's up there. I'm a big sweets person. And so there's this it. really like gourmet candy place that has like homemade fudge, oh. like homemade little treats and things like that. And I cannot remember the name of it, but it's right yeah. around the area of the Flagstaff Brewing Company. Sure, sure. So so, and then, so you're in Flagstaff and, and that's kind of like when you transition then into wellness, into the field. Yeah. What did that look like then? So like, where were you working at the time when you first started getting into your, were, were you working there during college or would you kind of transition into it when you finished up? I transitioned to when I was finishing up. So I didn't get my first 
um, job really in fitness until my internship, which you did in like the last semester, as you would kind of do, you know, with most degree programs. And what was um, that? And what was that like? I liked it a lot. So I actually did a corporate um, wellness job with USAA. I worked in their gym down here in Phoenix. So, um, and I continued to be a group exercise instructor, even after I graduated, that was like a 600 hour internship, which is kind of unusual. Most internships, you know, within the group fitness, or I won't say group fitness, just in the fitness industry, typically around 300 hours. Yeah. I would say that one. And I know Exos is definitely the exception to that rule too, because yes. Exos has a like 600 very hour com- Very comprehensive. And yeah. <laughs> yeah, definitely. <laughs> yeah. That's where, where I kind of started. And then from there, I went um, and joined a company called Corporate Fitness Works, okay. which I've... Lynn, yeah. Yeah. Lynn just started like a different company. So, and then that transitioned. And actually, while I was working for corporate fitness work, the company that was contracting us decided to go with Exos instead. Oh, And so like literally a year into it, they were like, yeah, no, we're not going to resign our contract. Well, they had just resigned the contract. And then we're like, no, we're not going to do this anymore and went with Exos. And we, you know, going through this transition period and we actually went through had to re-interview for our job. Someone was going to get laid off. And it was like this whole big ordeal that we never wow. really kind of expected or something I had never gone through ever. What did, what did you feel like you you learned from a situation like that? Because I feel like, you know, that happens in, you know, I think about, I'm, I'm from a town where it's like mills and Kramer marshes and things like that. You deal with job turnover a lot. Yeah. But I feel like in the fitness aspect, you're like re-interviewing from your, for your job. What was that like? And what are maybe some of the things like you felt like you learned from that experience? Because that sounds crazy. It was the, like the one thing that I would say that I really learned from it was like to be patient and like, you really don't know what the outcome is. Um, I, you know, counting, I was really high stress back then. I'm still a little high stress, but like going through that was super stressful. Like I didn't know if I was going to have a job in a month you know, that's, that's super stressful. And, you know, when it's your first job right out of college, it's super scary. And I kind of got these feelings of like, I'm a failure, you know, I'm not doing anything good. Like, how is this happening to me when I didn't even know if I got the job or not. Mm -hmm. And it's like, you, you really, truly don't know what's going to happen. And it's just learning a lot of patience with it and learning that you learning how to control the things you can't control, you know? Yeah. 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 And not getting bogged down and all the things going around you, which clearly were out of your control. Yeah. I had, you know, no control over anything that I was doing. And it was like anything that was happening around me. It was like, I did my job. I did my job well. Yeah. But at the end of the day, who knew if I had a job in a month or so from when we got told this. Sure. And it's in a different, you know, for a different company now too. So obviously, you know, obviously a little bit, things done a little bit differently. Um, with Exos, maybe then than the the place you were working with prior. So you eventually do get this job though, right? Because then you transition yeah. into being a health uh, a health health specialist for, yeah. for Exos, right? What was it like? You know, I, I think for like people listening, what's it like working in a corporate wellness setting? Kind of what does that look like? And especially what does it look like for for Exos um, as well? It's, I would say the site that I worked at, let me start with this. Let me preface with this. Corporate is completely different than commercial. Like take whatever you know about commercial fitness and throw it off to the side. 
Like it, it's, it's a completely different world and commercial yes. fitness. You're like, I got to get sales. I got to get personal training. Like I got to get clients, that type of thing. You're kind of, it's a shark environment mm-hmm. and a corporate environment is not so much that it's the people want to be there. The people who come into the gyms, they want to be there. They want to work out because it's mm-hmm. convenient for them because it's easy. And a good chunk of the time it's cheap. It's, sure. it's a cheap, they get insurance kickbacks. Like it's really good all around for incentivized for them and everything. Yeah. yeah. They get incentivized for being healthy. And that, you know, that's something that a lot of companies are starting to recognize, which I really like about that is because in the past, you know, 20 years, that really hasn't been a big thing, but like the past five, maybe 10, like starting to like, yeah, maybe you should make your employees healthy and happy and, you know, provide them with this. And then our insurance costs won't be so much for paying for these employees. So, um, but with the way that corporate kind of works, you know, you're still doing the same things that you might be doing in a commercial gym. You know, you are going to teach group exercise. You might get personal training. Personal training is really dependent on the client site. Um, Sometimes they'll be like, oh, you can supplement, you know, you can earn a little extra cash doing um, personal training on the side at the site, um, just outside your working hours. Or sometimes they're like, it's just kind of part of your job requirement and you don't make really any extra money. But um, the other thing I would say with corporate is that you do a lot more like engagement programs, incentive programs for the um, members that kind of come into the gym. Like we've ran, you know, multiple different ones. And one that always kind of pops into my head is like, we did a Jeopardy one time. I love (laughs) it. (laughs) A Jeopardy little thing we did. um, To build engagement and bring people in. Yeah. It brings people in. You get to know people a lot more. And that was one thing I really did enjoy about corporate is you got to know people more on a one-to-one basis. Like you saw a lot of the same people come in, whether it was like two, two, three times a week or every single day, Mm -hmm. you saw the same faces almost every point of the day. Sure. And, you know, when you see new faces coming in and they're like, oh, you know, these trainers are talking to us. They actually care. They're not just yeah. like, oh, I want your money. <laughs> your hour's up. I'll see you later. Like, good luck. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Essentially. And, you know, when, when you're in that type of environment, you create, create some really good friendships with that, that, you know, you yeah. still kind of carry through you, even if after you leave the job. Yeah, I, I noticed when I was working in corporate wellness wellness for Mayo Clinic, like that was the thing too. It felt like a lot more community based, and I've always enjoyed like the strength conditioning based positions that I've had, and and the personal training ones, obviously where there's sales involved and things like that. But it is, it's a little bit more like you can really build a sense of community with these people, yeah. and it's more, it is more of that family environment built around it too, because these people work together, they they work out together. You know, obviously yeah. they hang out out outside of you know, work hours and things like that. So it does feel a little bit different too, but that's awesome. Yeah. And to me, it was more, it was more comfortable for me to be in a corporate setting than it was ever in a commercial. I did try personal trading in a commercial gym and I just, I think I lasted like a week and I was like, I can't do this. (laughs) Would you, would you say then like for people that are maybe they love fitness, but they don't like the sales aspect of things and kind of like that, you know, that, that shark aspect involved in like trying to get clients and things. Would you say then that that's probably a really good option, you know, for, yeah. for coaches getting started out then? And hundred percent. If like I am not a salesperson, I was never a salesperson, and I'm one of those true believers. I'm not going to push somebody to do something that they don't want to do. Mm-hmm. Like I'm not going to push personal training on you if you never want to do personal training. Like sure. to me, that's just it's it's a waste of your money. It's a waste of my time type of thing. I want people who actually want to do it. Want to be there. Yeah, yeah. you want people who want to be there, and you know. 
corporate, they want to be there. They want to yes. come in. They want to talk to you. They want to, they want to get healthier. They want to get better, you know? Mm-hmm. And that's the one thing that I would say, yeah, if you are starting out and you go into a corporate gym and you're just like, or a commercial gym and you're just like, no way am I selling. I'm not going to make yes. my goals because I'm not going to force this. Then corporate's probably for you. It's yeah. a whole different mentality. Yeah. What are some of the things maybe, because I'm always trying to, to dive into this too, for people that either run clubs or, you know, there's a lot of really cool things that I think that you can learn from corporate wellness settings too. What are some maybe, you know, some other things that you think that commercial fitness could kind of take away from, you know, more of the corporate wellness environment? So obviously you said one would be like some of the challenges and things like that. Well, what are some of the other things when you think back on that experience, like, man, that would do well in the commercial setting? You know, I think it would be trainers, you know, I really think in a commercial setting, they should take away that sales aspect, to be completely honest. Like, the gyms already make a ton of commercial gyms make a ton of money based on the population that doesn't come into the gym. You know, that's where they make all of their money. You don't go to the gym. They are going to make more money off of you than you'll ever do because it tends to be more of a hassle, but the personal trainers, you know, that go into a commercial setting are there because they want to train people because they love fitness and they want to share that. They want to coach. They don't want to sell a product to somebody. You don't go into fitness to sell things. You know Mm -hmm. what I mean? You don't like you. Yeah. You need to sell yourself on some degree when it comes to um, personal training, but you don't need to be like pushy. You don't need to be like, Oh, I got to make this sales goal. So let me do this. And I, I think that would be the most beneficial. And I think bringing in like true blue, like engagement programs, Mm -hmm you know, group exercise programs, like make these group exercise goals. We get a raffle off of like, you know, some swag or something, you know, people love free swag and (laughs) you do things like that for, you know, in a commercial setting where they're going to all these group exercise classes, you're going to see your group exercise numbers go up. You know, you might see your personal training numbers go up, those Mm -hmm. types of things. Yeah. And I think that's a, a, I don't, and I don't know if this is correct, but I always felt like a lot of coaches didn't like doing that because they did come from like more of a strength conditioning background. They're like, well, they should just like training because of what it, I'm like, people, people like these things. People like people knowing who they are. They like, you know, competing with, with their peers and like having the opportunity to win prizes and, and doing, doing funny stuff for engagement and things like that. It's, yeah. it's just fun. It's, you you shouldn't go into a gym and have this serious attitude. I don't think you should go into a gym because when you're new into a gym, like I really didn't start going into the gym until I was in my early, I would say about mid twenties, to be completely honest, like, Mm -hmm. and it's an intimidating setting. If you're brand new and you have no idea what you're doing, or even if I did, you know, I had a little bit of knowledge of what I was doing, but you know, you still, especially personally as a woman, it's really intimidating. (laughs) Sure, sure. Just kind of the environment that you walk into. Yeah, I always think about that too. You know, the way a gym set up is really important because yep. you got to think about those people that they come in for the first time and you're like, there's people grunting in the racks and, you yeah. know, there's no like, where's the front desk? Like, where can I go talk to someone to, to figure out what the hell to do in this place? Yeah. And to be in the, I guess it may be just the gym that I worked at, um, as the commercial gym I worked at, the front desktop was not really like, friendly either <laughs> no they act you ever been places like that where they act like you're inconveniencing them like yes I'm just here to I'm trying to spend money now nah, that's you guys are wasting my time. you're wasting my time I don't want to sit here and talk to you bye <laughs> I'm texting my friends I'm trying to get out of here I'm trying to get a case of beer and 
yeah. move on with my life. <laughs> exactly. And that's what it is. Like, just be a little bit more friendly. You know, yeah. Your people are coming into a gym, and especially a new person who's just like white faced and is like, uh, what am I doing? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's so funny. Yeah. That's so funny. And so true of like so many box gyms. I can think of like every place I've been. It's like, oh, yeah. there's some people there they're in school and they're like aspiring. And then there's everybody else in between that you're like, yeah, you're, you're just here to, to get my money yeah, to go to the bar. Yeah, you're just here to get a paycheck to go to the bar. And yeah. even that's true, even true, you know, with small boutique gyms. I had a coworker yeah. that worked in a small boutique gym and, you know, all of her coworkers just wanted to go out after work and go drinking all the time. Like yeah. that's what they did. They would make money <laughs> to go drink at the bars and then they would kind of just be rude to people. And I was like, you know, that's so off putting <laughs> when you're a new person or just even in a boutique and boutique gyms depending on the gym is a little weird <laughs> yeah they can be an interesting place and I, I think that's funny the irony of like all right we're done making people healthy let's go to the bar yeah exactly <laughs> done there's, so, there's so much irony in it but I feel like you know it's kind of like doctors are the worst you know they're the worst patients sure. like fitness trainers are also the worst clients <laughs> yes yes yeah I that the guy that Victor that I had yesterday he owns the X house in Florida and he was talking about that he's like yeah, we always talk about being coachable. And we always talk about, you know, living with balance. And it's like, man, some of the time, like these coaches are the most unbalanced, psychologically yeah. you know, messed up people in the gym. And, you know. Yeah. And it's like, and I feel like that's all very true about fitness trainers in general, even group exercise instructors too. And I don't know if it's because we work such weird hours or if it's because, you know, we're just like always on the go, but it's always just like, you meet them and you're like oh yeah they go out to the bars and go drinking like it's you know there's some few in between that don't do that mm -hmm. but they go out to the bars like I'm like the occasional beer every once in a while yeah and or they like to eat unhealthy but we're sitting here preaching like oh yeah you know make sure you're eating healthy everything in moderation type of thing but you know we're also people too <laughs> yes yeah and I think that's what's funny about it too is like obviously you get and that's kind of how they get sectioned off into working with different demographics too I think like you know, there's people that are super crazy about it. Those people probably hang out in places like Exos, right? Like they practice what they preach. I, I don't work there, obviously, so I don't <laughs> want to be, I don't want to speak for, for the group, but. I can't fully speak for the group. The few trainers that I have met, you know, I've met so many people that are very down to earth within Exos and, you know, the sports performance coaches, corporate, corporate coaches and sports performance coaches are two completely different breeds of people though. Sure. Um, corporate, again, I think are a little bit more fun and kind of relaxed. I feel like the sports performance are a little bit more serious Intense. and take what they do a little bit more seriously, which I understand, you know, they work with top end at Exos, they work with top end athletes or sure. they're developing these top end athletes at youth levels to where they need to be somewhat serious. Sure. Um, but I still feel like at the end of the day that we're all very much down to earth mm -hmm. as a company and as people within the company tend to be a lot down to earth, which is something I really enjoy. For sure. And, and I think that's something that you sense just being there and being around everybody. Everybody seems very like happy that you're there everybody it is like a competitive environment but people are very like nice and and yeah, yeah and very outgoing and down to earth from from the from the coaches I've interacted with there and, and you as well so let's let's talk now about the research side of things so you you know you work in corporate wellness and so how do you end up making the jump in research obviously I think everybody that's gone to college we kind of know how like in a undergrad setting how funny and like absurd some of the research studies you do and 
how poorly developed they are. But like, you know, you have a master's level degree education and, you know, what you guys do at Exos is you know, like, for example, the one that I was doing there, that's for Google. You guys are working with some high-end clientele. Yeah. How do you end up making that shift? And then how do you eventually get into a place like obviously Exos where, you know, they're working with some of the top people in the field in research? Yeah. So it's actually, I started out just being a participant in Exos research. Yeah. The, when I started, <laughs> I love at, it. yeah. Right? All right. It's give me a job. Though. Right. <laughs> you know, I transitioned and I've always been really interested in research, even when I was younger, I, you know, but I didn't know what kind of research I wanted to go into, sure. especially as a kid, you're just like, Oh, this is really cool. Like I want to be in a lab and kind of see what really happens and how these things kind of develop, make potions and whatnot. Yeah, exactly. You're like, oh, cool, science. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, it just made me think of uh, my, co- my coworker had a shirt on yesterday, Magic is Real, that's called science. <laughs> <laughs> Someone's making beakers. Sorry. All I can think of is like when I was younger, they made those Dr. Dreadful kits. That's all I can think of. Right yeah. Now. Oh like... my God. That's been so long since I've seen those. My brother used to have them. <laughs> what do you do? What are you doing, dude? Signs. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> he had the weird little gummy worms that you yeah. like. <laughs> is that a chemical? No, this is this no. is it's edible because I made it. Um, I made it. It's fine. Yeah. <laughs> Easy big ovens. Anyway, yeah. um, so I started out as a participant and I was sure. doing stuff. I trans I got the job at Exodus in 2018, and that's actually when we started doing or when they started doing research. And a lot of it was well, they were doing research before that. Let me preface this mm-hmm. um, because someone will probably be like, oh, but they were doing this. Yeah, we were doing, they were doing research for Google at that time. Um, and I was a participant and I just started talking to Monica Laundermilk, who is now my boss. Yeah. And she was there all the time. And so I was just like, how did you get your job? Like, how did you get to where you be? I just started talking to her and you know, you go to these sessions and you're just sitting there and you talk to people, we, you know, as sessions with you, my session with you, I just sat there and kind of talked yeah. to you, talked about our backgrounds, talked about our lives. We talked about our interests. And that was kind of similar situation at the sure. time. I really wasn't ready to transition from it. I had, you know, just graduated college the year earlier. I had been in college for about six years at this point. So I was like, I'm kind of just done with school. Sure. I knew I wanted to get my master's in about 2019. I was like, I just sat there and was like, oh, now or never. So went and applied and got my master's. Pandemic hit. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> was still working in corporate wellness. Luckily, I, I was- Bought out company. by another company again. No. <laughs> oh, no, no, no. Thank God. We basically, you know, we were working from home the whole time. Yeah. And I just gained a new set of skills of just virtual sure. training, essentially. Sure. Um, which I think- Yeah, you guys so- had like a website and everything that you- were you yeah. kind of working through that model then too, or how were you guys doing training? So with, with corporate, it tends to be really dependent on the site. Um, okay. I like, we were literally doing teams calls Yeah. and you know, those were our group exercise classes where, you know, my boss at the time would be like, he was the only one with a computer from the company and was able to let us into this. And I was using my at home computer <laughs> sure. to, you know, do all these classes. And when my internet was out, I was my phone, you know, it, it was a, it was a weird time for everybody. And, mm. you know, I had just started doing my master's at that point. Um, and then I started doing kind of like on the side research in grad school. Um, you kind yeah. of just start doing that when you're going into grad school and the, 
the professor I was working with at the time um, was solely based on online research too. Like sure. everything she did, she worked with um, Kong at the time. Okay. So a lot of that stuff, I mean, Kong is a virtual app. You know, you do things, all that research is really, is truly online and, you know, remote. Mm-hmm. So I worked there for about a couple of months and then um, school kind of got in the way, life got in the way, kind of had to take a step back from that. Sure. And then a couple of months later, like I'd been thinking about getting a different job and trying to transition because I had been a fitness specialist for three years at that point. Mm-hmm. I was like, it's time to move on. I need something new. I need something a little bit different. And then this research associate position popped up. And I already talked to Monica multiple different times prior to this. And even before I had started my master's, she was actually someone I talked to and was like, hey, you know, is it worth going getting a graduate degree? Because that's a big decision. You're also spending a lot of money getting a graduate degree, especially in fitness wellness. You're like physical activity and health in my instance. And like, you know, like, what can you really do with this? And, you know, you talk to like a few, few people to try to figure out kind of all the different routes that you can go into. And Monica just so happened to be one of them. Mm -hmm. And we were talking about it and I saw that position showed up and I just immediately applied to it. (laughs) It Like, and then I messaged her the next day. I was like, Hey, I'm just reaching out, letting you know that I applied to this position. Like I would really appreciate just to, you know, just even interview, you know, but I totally get it. Like what a connection. Yeah. (laughs) I was like, here's this connection that you make. And it, it, you know, they say like, you get your jobs mainly from connections and knowing people and your background. And it's, it was one of those instances where I was like, it's really important. It shows how important making connections are. I was just a participant at, you know, three years prior to this. (laughs) And then two months, you know, probably, yeah, two months later, after I, you know, submitted that application, I was moving into a research associate position and doing something totally different that I didn't know yeah clear and just by making that connection I mean that is so important like I think I think these days people the way they apply for jobs it's it's kind of sit back and 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 do the indeed thing and there's nothing wrong with using job boards and anything like that but I think like to what you're speaking to it's important to go and just do things and be involved in things somewhat related to your field because you never know, then it leads to a position like that. That's, yeah. you know, now the role that you're in now, which is awesome. Yeah. And it's so, been, it's been a good learning experience. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and, and so what are maybe some of the things like in transitioning this, like, what are some of the big things you've learned since transitioning this role? I'd love to talk about, cause I think this is really important for people listening. I feel like a lot of people don't know how to set up research and why it's important. I'd love to, to cover that. But let's maybe start with the other question first and kind of go from there then. Yeah, so the the major difference is like, I'm not in the gym as much anymore. You know, sure. you kind of get stripped out of that type of setting. I have, I will say I, in my position, I have more of kind of a computer-based. I'm, you know, running around trying to make sure that as an RA, you really are the person that like really nitpicks and kind of pulls everything together. You know, you got your different layers of any type of team and the RAs are kind of that base level. It is really truly an entry level position, but you do need to have like somewhat of a knowledge of research and a passion for research as well. Sure. Just to fully understand what you're doing. Um, at this level, you know, I 
I sometimes call it a grunt position, but that's kind of what it is. You know, I run the sessions, but I'm also, you know, in our instance, we offload the watches right after sessions. You know, sure. we have, we're in touch with all the technology. We're in touch with all the people. Most of the time, we're basically the face of the team. Sure. And without us, I don't want to say like the team falls apart, but it kind of like, we're kind of essential to the team as just as much as anybody else is as well. Absolutely. And you definitely are the front facing person. Like the moment I walk in, that's who I see. So yeah. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. And it, I will say the biggest transition, long hours. I have never worked so many hours in my life before. Sure. And you, you talk to anybody that works in research and that's just kind of the way the field is, unfortunately, um, yeah. because, you know, truly we have a remote study going on as well. And that is something like, even on weekends, if something happens, like that's kind of just a part of my job. I got to figure out like kind of troubleshoot even remotely to sure. try to figure out what's going on and how to kind of guide that participant into that next step or if they need that help and all that type of stuff. So it's it's one of those jobs where it's it's just kind of never ending. It never really quiets and it's always kind of there. Yeah, you're kind of always on, like you always have to be ready for something. Like, yeah. like you said, like whether it's a, a, a participant that needs help with the study or any part of the, the setting up of the study. Yeah. But, which kind of brings me in, in, into like another question too is, I think it's important for people listening too, because I think a lot of people throw around that word like research based and you know this yeah. is grounded in research and things like that. I don't think a lot of people really understand what that means, right? So yeah. could you share with the listeners maybe a little bit about like maybe why research is important and then kind of what setting up a good research study truly looks like, maybe start to finish. And you could do both your end and the participant too, kind of what that looks like. Yeah, I mean, from, let's we'll start from like the setting up a research. I, I let me put this, research is important just for the pure fact that it can actually prove and disprove something with facts. It is sure. straight, just facts. They're a good research study is really unbiased. It's really honed into what it's doing. And it takes, you know, learnings from previous research studies, because a lot of the time with current research studies, there's not a whole lot of brand new, you know, totally out of the blue research that really comes out of the field anymore. We're kind of building off previous stuff that has been a little bit researched and applying it in different yeah, it's been established and we're applying different things to see if that is still holding true. Mm -hmm. So, and this goes around, I mean, even for nutrition, nutrition, I won't get into nutrition studies, but fitness studies and things like that. Nutrition is one of those ones where you kind of like, eh, depending on who you talk to, it's sure. really boils down to genes. Um, but fitness studies and like, even in the fitness field, you know, different technologies that we're looking at. This really proves that the piece of technology is working. There's so much tech, like these, these fitness watches, for example, sure. like, you know, there's so many different out there. Research really helps hone them into either they're a really good watch that's going to work mm -hmm. um, or, you know, a watch that's going to get your metrics the way that they should compared to like top of the line equipment. Sure. Um, for one example, we have a portable VO2 master. Mm -hmm. or it's it, the company's called vo2 master but yeah. it's a portable vo2 that you know have you ever seen uh like how you do vo2 with a metabolic cart yeah it's, like the oxygen yeah mask you have all. the oxygen tank you're hooked up to like 10 different tubes coming off of you you got an ecg on you you know you got all the mass tubes everything you're in an giant. iron you're in an iron lung and you're yes. walking. Yeah. yeah, essentially you're hooked up to so many monitors and it's so expensive, but this little piece of a portable equipment 
sure. is, you know, has been researched, has been tested against metabolic hearts and is still accurate. And so that type of research is super important when you're looking at sure. pieces of technology. It's like, how does it compare to a gold standard? And a gold mm. standard would be something, again, like a metabolic heart or um, like a DEXA scan for body yeah. measurements. You know, how does, you know, your at home scales compare to that gold standard? Sure. And if they compare really well to it, then you know you're getting a good piece of equipment. And mm -hmm. that's not to sit here and say that, you know, technology, the more expensive it is, the better it is, because that's not always necessarily true. Sure. You know, you could have the most expensive watch in the world and it can be totally name brand, but if it doesn't give you the metrics accurately, then it's not really doing its job. And you sure. could probably get some of the same stuff with, you know, a cheaper piece of equipment. It, it really, it, boils down to that research and why it just why it makes it so much more important for this type of stuff sure have you had like since you started doing that have you had like some revelations in that like hey I had always what's maybe something that you you've discovered in research that you're like holy shit I had really thought this prior and then when we we really dug through the data yeah it wasn't maybe it wasn't consistent with like maybe your past ideas of what it was so mine was the one revelation that always came to me is that when i was um taking a physical we got it was physical activity and oh uh, it was a class i was taking in college i can't remember the name of it but sure. the professor was he had a background in obesity so he was totally like into the weight loss stuff one of the things that just kind of blew my mind was the fact that you know how calories are counted mm -hmm. it's a totally based made up fact yeah you know you you probably know this that was one and then um how each person like diets like high fat diets high carb diets you know all the differences and everybody's like oh well this works well this works yes doesn't work for everybody like there's a broad range and if you look at all these studies it's like some people god that high fat diet works really well a lot of people it didn't, but at the same time, the same amount could have happened for the high carb diet. A lot of people worked for it. And it just kind of blew my mind at how, and even with physical activity, it's the same kind of thing. Like some people are really great cardio based and can lose a lot of weight cardio based or, and, but can't do it. And then their strength, sure. that was something that was just like, and you just seeing all the plethora of research. It wasn't just like one research article. It was a ton over of things. Yeah. You just seeing it over and over and over again. Um, the other one that kind of blew my mind was heart rate zones. Mm -hmm. They don't exist. Yeah. <laughs> like fat burning zones, totally, sure. totally made up. Mm -hmm. It's not a real thing. And, you know, we try to sell this to people to try to get it to, you know, so people, again, goes back to making money in these bigger sure. areas. And Sure, like a marketing scheme more so yeah. than it really has to do with, or or try to like neatly organize variables that aren't, that can't be really neatly organized in some cases. Yeah. Yeah. And a lot of that might also come some of the research studies you might know, come back to who's sponsoring the study, you know, mm -hmm. and who's kind of filtering in that money. So they want to see a certain type of outcome and which makes it a little bit more biased. And that's why I say mm -hmm. unbiased is really, really important when it comes, when you're looking at any type of research study, like if they're saying it's research-based, figure out what that research is. Sure. If if the company's fully supporting it and fully paying for that research and they're not really showing what's actually going on, mm -hmm. then it's not really an unbiased research. It's biased. They're sure. lying to you in some way and shape or form. 
I just watched the movie Oppenheimer last night and it's a closed <laughs> hearing in it. And that's all I can think of is like when someone's running their own research, it's like, yeah, I mean, you're kind of doing research, but you're only going to disclose the things that, um, it, you know, you want to see as well. So, yeah. And that's why it's, it's one of those things where it's important for major companies to kind of outsource their research to other companies because like, then it you kind of, like us, we, we do unbiased research in this sense, mm -hmm. you know, we, you know, give, we collect this data, we give them what they want, and then they have to kind of decipher it and be like, okay, well, is this actually working? Sure. Um, the research study that you're a part of, it's kind of testing the algorithms that work within the watches to see how accurately it tracks your heart rate sure. in different stages of where, you know, how we wear these things and mm -hmm. how we exercise with them. So, and how they operate outdoors in direct sunlight versus, you know, indoors and, you know, indirect sunlight or no, no sunlight whatsoever. Kelsey tried um, to kill me the other day, by the way, it was 115. <laughs> She's like, you want to go outside? I'm like, we'll do it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> She's great, but she tried to kill me. So <laughs> it's fine. <laughs> wouldn't, be, wouldn't be the first time I've heard that from, um, participants and or people I have trained. <laughs> I thought you were going to say, this isn't the first time I've tried to kill someone in research. <laughs> I'm like, you do good work. <laughs> I know. Well, for me, I'm all of, I like training in, personally, I do like training in the heat, but I, I do you know, too. I always know in the back of my mind, there's a safety level to it. So sure. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, yeah. let's do this. <laughs> so. so, yeah. So, yeah. so what does it look like then? Like, I guess in, in, in practice and like setting these up, you know, we talked about how important it is to, to not be a biased research study, you know, outsourcing this, if you're a bigger company makes sense because, you know, your skin in the game is obviously just finding what works. Theirs yeah. is obviously interpreting it, using it however they'd like, but you know, that makes it unbiased. How would it look like setting it up? So like when you guys started this research um, study, what are some of the things that you sift through and you go like, we have to have these things in place. The participants got to be like this. These things have to be controlled for. Maybe you could reference the study that I'm in and, and kind of, I guess, articulate for the audience kind of, kind of how that breaks down. Yeah, so I will say um, it really depends on the level of the study that we're doing it at. The study that you were a part of um, is going to, I'm going to stay this at, right out. It's not an IRB approved study. And that sure. is it's really like an ethics board essentially. And because it's not an IRB approved study, it's only can go so far. IRB approved studies are the ones that are, you know, they are a little bit more involved. Like our, we have a continuous glucose monitoring study and that one might that. be a better example for this um, just because that one from top to bottom, we have so much involvement in with the sponsorships. Mm -hmm. So a lot in the stakeholders. So a lot of the time what happens is that like you have your primary investigators, which usually hold a doctorate. You know, they you have done research a good chunk of their life. You know, that is what their, you know, dissertation and things like that. They've done this mm -hmm. for many years. And Monica is our PI for this. Sure. We call it a PI press, you know. Yeah. Our <laughs> um, private investigator. Yeah, private investigators. It's, you know, but it kind of is. Yeah. <laughs> essentially does she always wear a trench a trench coat with samuel jackson over there no she doesn't but it's it's the jean jacket her and um, danielle who's also a primary investigator as well okay. on the team um she just works a little bit different but they like wearing a jean jacket for some reason it just became the unofficial official uniform of the research the, team the canadian the canadian tuxedo to yeah. <laughs> yeah we actually had a co-worker who came into work one day with a canadian tuxedo i love on. it i love it <laughs> um 
anyway, so the way that it works, the, the PI kind of works along with the stakeholders. You know, they figure out what do they want? You know, what are, what are the, what are you looking for? What are the variables that you're looking for? You know, we're with the continuous glucose monitoring study, we're looking at, you know, a healthy population wearing this, this, the CGM essentially, mm -hmm. um, and how it kind of affects it and what they eat, you know, how it affects your blood sugar, how it affects your health, how it affects your fitness, all this other type of stuff. You got to have to really hone down into what you're looking for. From there, you know, there might be a few other people like um, Chris, who maybe you've talked to, he's our re senior research coordinator, who's also involved with yeah. a lot of that. They kind of develop a protocol, you know, which outlines from A to Z, everything the participants doing, everything that they're going to be wearing, you know, everything that they're going to take part of, you know, what are the guidelines? What are the incentives? You know, what's the timeline? All this type of stuff, the nitty gritty, you know, what's the data going to look like? How are we going to present the data? all this type of stuff. And it, it really is, I mean, it's like a 20 page document yeah. <laughs> typically. And, you know, we have to, on the RA level, we do have to read through that once it's been kind of finalized. So we know sure. exactly what's going on in the study. Um, we go through that, they go through, they write out a protocol, they mm -hmm. both agree on the protocol. And then that protocol then starts getting sent out to IRB to be approved. So that way, one, we know that it's ethical. Sure. Um, like with our CGM study, you know, we have people going to labs, which can be kind of stressful for some people. It can be kind of putting them into like a little bit of risk, which is something sure. that the IRB kind of takes into account. Mm -hmm. Um, so it's, you know, this one, I would say it's more on the low risk study side with it, but sure. you know, from there in that, then they get, sorry, my dog's got shut the door. <laughs> yeah, good. <laughs> Y'all good. I'm surprised my cat hasn't let uh let everybody know she's here yet so <laughs> I, I know that feeling <laughs> yeah um but then from there you know once they're kind of agreed upon there's a set you know amount of money that you're going and then that's when like you know the research coordinators and the RAs kind of kick in um at that point we have to start developing you know materials that we give to participants we got to figure out you know in remote study for example like I've had to figure out how to package things out we had to shift through um, standardized meals. I mean, we tried uh, our data, senior data analysts, you know, tried like 15 different meals from five different types of companies before we landed on what we're doing, you know. <laughs> to keep it all consistent, right? It's got to keep it all consistent and also hit some of those macronutrients that they're kind of looking for mm -hmm. too. Mm -hmm. And that can peak, you know, blood sugar, you know, at a certain time, like, or what would affect people a little bit differently sure. um, on a nutrition level. and. For preference, you know, we have Exos does both fitness and nutrition. So this kind yeah. of falls within that nutrition aspect of it. Um, you know, we figure all the little nitty gritty things out before we can even present it to participants and get them enrolling. You know, sure. coordinators will work on recruitment strategies, strategies, like how do we get people to know about these studies? Like, yeah. are we going to meet the demographics? We got to make sure the include that people can are both meet those inclusion and exclusion criteria. Mm -hmm. Because, you know, with the glucose study, we have a long list of exclusion criteria that right. we got to make sure we can find the people for that kind of fit this study. Mm -hmm. You know, with the study that you were a part of, it didn't have, it was basically like, can you, are you physically active and are you healthy? Can you, you not know, pass there, out when you, when you yeah, like, out? can you, can you run for 15 minutes type of right. stuff? Can you work out for, you know, 15 minutes type of thing versus mm. like, <clears throat> excuse me, versus like, you know, it's glucose study. We're looking for things that like, if you're taking a certain medication, 
you know, you might not be able to be a part of the study because it affects your glucose, you know, mm-hmm. certain blood pressures affects your blood glucose and you would never yeah. really think that. Um, so it's, they really hone in and kind of figure out what pool of people from the United States. criteria, yeah. Yeah, like what what are these people we can pick from? But they also got to figure out how do we reach those people as well? So a lot of what a coordinator's job is to, is to not only figure out recruitment, you know, they're talking to participants all the time. You guys are kind of marketing in a sense then too, right? It's a little bit of marketing. You got to have a little bit of marketing strategy. You know, we do have a recruitment specialist on the team. She kind of works as a recruitment specialist as a coordinator who also works with our marketing team marketing sure. team to get all this stuff out. Like, you know, you probably saw on social media that was, you know, kind of us working with the marketing team being like, hey, this is what we need to do. Sure. <laughs> yeah. Um, and th- this is the other thing, too, is a lot of this stuff we have to give to the IRB. So they would can approve it. So we can even run all this oh stuff. Oh my God. So like even to send out like certain posts and things like yep. that, that has to be ran through yep. the board to make sure that that the way you're marketing it even is ethical on that end. Yep, exactly. Like, you know, you can't talk about incentive in a lot of posts and people, that's like the first thing everybody asks, what's the incentive for these? And you can't lead that, with that. Yeah. You can't lead with that. You don't mm-hmm. want to lead with that. I mean, you don't really want to lead with that either. You really just want people to be in- interested in the research. But yeah, I didn't even know we were getting incentives. So that was cool. Yeah, see? <laughs> it's like a nice, you, you get it. You're like, wow, I get, I thought I was just doing this. Yeah. And, you know, this CGM study took months. I mean, we were working on this study, I want to say six months, six, sure. seven months before we even launched for just five people. Wow. And, you know, a lot of it is like, we also had to learn some of the technology, some of the watches that we are using, because they're trying to figure out if watches can kind of pick up and on those glucose habits. And so that way they can kind of tell people like, hey, maybe your blood spiking, your blood sugar spiking a little bit here. Like, what are you eating that's causing this? You know, kind of help with some sort of training adaptations. That's really cool. Um, Because then you can almost like almost elimination diets, sort of ish in a sense things, because you're going to see you're going to see in real time reactions to whatever type of foods they're consuming. Right. And- yeah, exactly. And, you know, it's one of those things right now, it's a little controversial talking about, you know, using CGMs in non-diabetic populations, you know, there is some benefit to it. There's some benefit depending on what you're reading, especially if you're looking at journal articles, it's a, the research is a little all over the place on how they do things. Mm-hmm. Um, sorry, but that's, that's that. <laughs> But that's like the Exos way too. I feel like you guys are always kind of looking ahead. If something, yeah, if something's a possibility, you're just looking and okay, yeah. what, what can this really do? Yeah, and and to be honest with the the stakeholders, and this is another Google, you know, study. You, they're trying to compete with also another market. You know, Apple's doing this type of stuff. Garmin's doing this type of stuff. They're trying to keep up with kind of the times, but also trying to make a more inclusive watch for everybody. You know, more inclusive wearables to where we don't. I don't want to say depend on doctors, but we can kind of monitor our own health in a sense and giving us our power. Um, But I a little bit digress on that, but back to the kind of structure of everything, we get to that nitty gritty, everything gets approved on the RA level. You know, again, we're still the, the face of this study. You know, I have assigned participants, you know, they're randomized, but I have people I still talk to, you know, my coworkers have people they still talk to that, you know, we do this remotely. We're constantly checking up on like, Hey, are you logging your meals? Hey, how's our things going? Like, is your CGM going good? How was your, how was your labs the other day? 
you know, those types of things. And we report all the way down. We have to track how they're doing with the study. You know, if they're being compliant, are they eating their standardized meals? Are they logging their food? Are they doing their surveys? Are they wearing their watch? That type of stuff. It all gets tracked. We sure. do all of that. And we have to create the materials to help track these types of things. Sure. Because you just don't want to send them out and be like, hey, you got to track these things. Yeah. And they're using like a journal and it, there's yeah. not pre-printed materials for them to monitor these things. Yeah, exactly. It's it's like we set this all up so that way when it gets to the participant, it's minimal work on them. I don't want to say it's minimal, but it's not as much work as they probably would have had to do. Well, yeah, and I think I think you guys are taking a page out of like most, you know, the way you sell most things or the way you get most things done is, you know, keep it simple, right? Like yep. you can have this really, I mean, and and for the listener too, right? You're everything you've talked about, it's so complex and setting up the study, who's involved, getting things approved and making sure everything's in line with certain rules and regulations, you know, it's it's such a time consuming thing on that end. And yeah, it is so time consuming. And I, I can't say it, this process is never really smooth. I don't know how many times they tried changing the protocol on us, you know, sure. <laughs> and sure. that's why, you know, these things kind of take months and like fine tuning, like we can get you know, while the protocol is still being written, we can start, you know, kind of setting some things up and kind of building drafts of what we're kind of doing and having guidelines, just knowing in the back of our minds, this, this is more than likely going to change. And to be honest with a lot of studies, even with my grad school, it was kind of that same way, you know, until they kind of finalize what they want to do or the PI really finalized in my instance, my, my grad right. school, it was PI figures out what they want to do. Yeah. <laughs> then we can kind of move forward with what we need to do. Um, and which kind of helps us, but it is so much more complex than, you know, the average person might really see when it comes to a lot of these research studies. You know, um, if you've ever read a journal article, it's, it's like reading a textbook. No, yeah, not so even joking. Yeah. It's, it's basically reading a textbook with a bunch of jargon you don't even understand. Mm -hmm. And the only way to understand it is to you read more. <laughs> sure. What would you say maybe for people that are, are listening and they don't have, you know, like the type of education someone like you has, and, and they want to be able to access some of this data, maybe use it in their own life. How do they go about getting that information? So you do all these large research studies. How would maybe for the average person, what would maybe, maybe be some of the things that you would advise people to do that are looking to do things more like evidence-based in a sense in their life to apply it to their health? Like, what are some of the things that maybe you recommend they do to, to access that information in a credible yeah. way? In a credible way, um, Google Scholar is probably the best free thing out there. A lot of the times um, you may have to pay to read certain journal journal sure. articles. I'll say that. But a lot of the time they have a little abstract and your abstract is basically a nice little snippet of the entire, entire article um, and kind of makes it in a more digestible form, which a lot of, you know, a lot of the times that ends up happening, especially if you're not don't have access to these in an academic setting. Um, but if you're like reading something on a website that says like, God, I always think of like, you know, burpees are good for you. Totally against burpees. I'm going to say yeah, that right yeah, now. Like yeah. totally against it. You heard me say that like, no, nah, I don't like burpees, but yeah. you know, there's be like some articles out there that'd be like, Bernie, you know, burpees are great. Yeah. Figure out where their research are coming from. If they don't have cited sources, they don't cite their sources. It's not really, re they don't, they don't have anything to back anything up. Sure. It's honest. like their opinion yeah, versus it's basic, this is. This is fact. Um, so a lot of the time when you're looking at websites or you're reading like an article online or anything like that, if at the bottom they have a reference section, 
-hmm. click on those references. Sure. You know, see where they're getting this information from. You might, unfortunately, sometimes go down a rabbit hole. That's just kind of the way research is. We reference other articles. We reference this article, mm -hmm. which references this article. That's okay. That yes. means they actually know there's like something there's going on. There's a timeline in the research. A, it's being Yeah, built. there's a timeline. And there's events that led up to what they're doing and why they're doing what they're doing. Um, and the same goes for any type of nutrition, um, sports performance, um, like supplements. Supplements mm -hmm. is a big one. Sure. do your research on supplements personally. Like don't just go in blindly with what you're doing with supplements. Um, you know, there's so much, so much research on supplements, so much research, you know, and the benefits and non-benefits, certain ones and not certain ones. But again, I digress the, the dot orgs, if you got something from a dot org, that's, that's super important. You know, um, not all dot coms are going to be, you know, reliable sure. EDUs most of the time dot edu all the time because they're coming from schools, definitely. But again, when you're looking at this, make sure you're just looking up what are the facts. You know, Google, like I said, Google Scholar is a good one. Um, you can always, if you want to pay for them, you can subscribe to certain types of journals. Um, American College of Sports Medicine has, sure. you know, their journal articles that they publish all the time. They do a monthly journal, like journal reviews and things like that. Um, sure. I don't want to say journal reviews. They, it's like a magazine. Let me put it Yeah, like their newsletter that they put out. I actually get that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah that type of stuff. And it brings you, and that way you already know that it's coming from a reliable source. And those, mm -hmm. when to get research published is a whole other area too, because a lot of the research we do within Exos within Google doesn't necessarily get published. Sure. To get a research published, you know, you have to go through multiple revisions. You have to go through peer reviews. You have to do, you know, you have to make sure that every, like all your ducks in a row before that even hits a journal, like sure. before that even hits a magazine. Um, yeah, ACSM, NSCA, you know, any of those, especially on the fitness level, for sure. Um, Nutrition-wise, I am not sure on some of the nutrition ones, nutrition journal articles. I'm not a big nutritionist personally, but sure. Sure. <laughs> yeah, but I like for fitness people, definitely, you know, any of the top, um, the top, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Like the gover governing bodies yeah. and yeah. yeah. Those big organizations, again, like ACSM, NSCA, NASM, those ones, like 100%, they are going to have true blue journal articles that are going to be, you know, peer reviewed, 100%, this is fact. And, and they have a lot of industry experts that are doing the sifting mm -hmm. for you too. They're bringing it to you and going, okay, for example, like something at newsletter, you know, I think they do such a good job of kind of sifting through like, okay, what maybe is like the buzzword type of things being discussed yeah. right now, or what are some of the popular trends? Let's actually dig into the research and see what is true from yeah. maybe what it what what you read in a in a, a BuzzFeed article or something like that. You know, I don't yeah. want to take anything away from what they do, but I mean, you get what I'm saying. Yeah, I totally get it. Don't worry, I get. Yeah, I dive myself into those BuzzFeed articles all the time, like the BuzzFeed, the Casey. Oh my god, yeah, <laughs> totally guilty of that. <laughs> well, well, I want to ask too. So you've been such a great guest today, and I want to keep you too much longer, but. I always like to ask this before people get up, uh, uh, get off the, the show here. Maybe what are some things, either some advice or some books, or when you're thinking about like, maybe you're an up and coming coach or you're an up and coming um, researcher or anything like that. Do, are there any books or any sort of resources that come to mind and go like, hey, for me as my development, either as a person or as a professional, you should really check out some of these books or these resources. 
you, you know, <laughs> that's a really tough one for me right now as I have kind of slacked on my, my own personal development lately. But, sure. you know, when I was doing, mine was just talking to people, like learning from, sure. you know, other coaches. I think that- Connecting. It, you know, yeah, interacting with other coaches. I feel like I learned more, you know, you can read a book. But until you put things in action, especially in the fitness field, you can read a hundred books, but until you put it into action, it's not as valuable. When I was talking to a lot of the coaches I was working with and, you know, bouncing around ideas, that's when I learned the most. That's where I figured things out. That was the way, that's how coach, how, how you start learning how to coach. My advice to, you know, group exercise instructor or coaches is become the client they will might have a different way of talking to a client and explaining, you know, a simple exercise that you, for some reason, just can't land with your own client. Sure. Um, and, you know, if you're looking more into research, my thing is, you know, start reading research articles, you know, start really understanding what goes on behind the research, start becoming mm -hmm. part of research studies, you know, and that's when you start making those connections and start asking like, hey, how does this work? Like, you know, what, why are we really doing this? What, what, what happens afterwards, you know, once I leave yeah. type of thing. And those, those types of questions will kind of get you an idea of what maybe you're getting into, you know, just sure. asking someone like, Hey, what do you do for your day to day? Yeah. Is just, you know, you would never know what they're doing unless you ask, you might get an idea like, but you're not going to know. So my advice is just talk to people. You know, we, I feel like in today's world, we kind of lose that aspect. We want to go into reading and having all these resources sure. from the simple, a lot of the simple time is just talking to people. Yeah, talking to people and becoming active participants in whatever you want to go out and do. I think that is that's such great advice. Um, and, and I know like I feel like I've learned that more through doing the podcast is sometimes just going in, into certain settings that it's not really your field or you may not have expertise yeah. in and and just asking people, like you said, about what they do. How yeah. do you do this? Like, what does your day to day look like? What do some of the tasks look like? Um, I think it, it's so valuable for people to do that because then you end up with you know similar situations to yours where yeah. you kind of you had made a relationship into a role yeah. right later and it was you know it's it's one that I a decision I never regretted and it's one of those things where it was like I would have never known if uh, that I could even do this or be a part of this in any way shape or form unless I talked to somebody sure. you know I did that with my my graduate degree like I went through months of like, do I really want to do this? And after talking to like two or three people who had masters or doctorate right. degrees, you know, like what really the expectations are and what it is, it's, it's the simple advice from talking to other people and learning through their experiences that you kind of just grow more as a human, whether it's in fitness or not. Sure. Sure. Well, thanks for coming on today, Kelsey. You know, I, I want to ask you before I jump off, um, how can people get access to this study? Number one, like how could they participate in a study? And then also, you know, how can they get access to you? Like how can they find you? Yeah. So with our Exos research studies, you can always find, um, you know, the social, you can always find it on Exos social media, whether it's Instagram, Facebook, um, all the LinkedIn, Twitter, all that type of stuff. You can also go on to our um, research website. I'm totally blanking on the website. Right now. I'll, link, I'll link it. I'll link it in the yeah. description. 
link it into the description. Um, definitely check out what's going on, whether it's our, we have a female physiology questionnaire going on right now, our continuous glucose monitoring studies happening. Um, we did just wrap up our device tournament one this mm -hmm. previous week. <laughs> yep. So, you know, that one's kind of, but it will be returning back in September. And we're always kind of looking for more, more, more and more studies and, you know, more and more people to kind of get this outreach to us. You know, we want participants to come in and we want to meet everybody that comes in and who's interested in this, you know, yes. yeah. and to get a hold of me, um, personally, I am a fan of Instagram. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it is, uh, it's Kelsey C. That's the name I got from high I'll, school. Total nickname. <laughs> I, I love it. I'll link it in. <laughs> Yeah. Um, you can find me pretty easily on Instagram. I'm unfortunately blonde in the picture. 2020 was a weird time. I died. I was one of the many people who bleached their hair blonde. It's, it's not a phase, Dad. <laughs> it's not a phase. It was a phase and I destroyed my hair and I probably won't ever do it again. <laughs> I love it. So, but Instagram is definitely the best way to get hold of me. You might be able to find me on Facebook, but I, you know, my Facebooks is more my private life and everything. My Instagram, sure. I usually just let more business have fun with it. Yeah. Okay. Okay. More business well, fun. Well, Kelsey, thank you so much. So yeah, I, for everybody listening, I'll make sure I link all those links in the description. If you want to get involved um, with the Exos research or, uh, you know, you want to contact Kelsey, you're kind of more interested in, Hey, how do I get into this field? Maybe reaching out more in a mentorship way on that end, trying to get some direction. She'd be a great person to reach out to, but Thank you so much for coming on today. I always love when I meet someone one time and then we do a podcast. So thank you for being a part of this and, and I appreciate it so much. Yeah, no, thank you for having me. This is this is a different experience for me. I've never done anything like this. So I really appreciate and feel very honored to be on your podcast and everything, Tyler. And I again, it was this one-time thing and we met and it was, you know, here we are. <laughs> yeah, before we go, I have to tell you, like I said, this is kind of the way, you know, you were talking about this is how you do business in the sense you, you just meet and talk to people. Yeah. Hey, anyone listening to this, I'm telling you, if you find smart people like Kelsey, right, that know what they're doing, you know, there, there's an opportunity when you have a podcast or some way to, to showcase what they do. Um, you can get people that are really smart and you can get an hour of their time that you may have not otherwise been able to get. So yeah, exactly. <laughs> and that's just all it takes. It takes one hour. <laughs> takes one hour. So, but yeah, I appreciate Kelsey and we'll talk soon when I get this, um, when I get everything cut, I'll, I'll send it over to you. And, okay. and again, like I said, I appreciate you coming on today and, yeah, and we'll course. talk soon. All right. Thanks Tyler. Thank all you. Right. Take care. Bye. Bye.